Welcome to SIN 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Joe Alegria. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you, Kevin. So it was yesterday? It was yesterday. Yeah, it looks like you're still celebrating. You're just glowing. 58, starting off with a bang. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. I remember 58. It's a little fuzzy, but I remember it a little bit. Hey, I want us to welcome somebody to the show today. I'm really excited about this because this is the first show that is not being engineered by Matt Hall, who is off doing very important stuff, but by Matt Foreman. Matt Foreman, welcome hello, to Sid 315. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I am so happy that you're on the show. I absolutely Aww. love you. And you are one of the people that are in my life that is on the front line. You are doing hard things for Jesus. And then those of us who are not so brave or bold, we get to pray for you Thank and you. support you. And I want to walk through some of that. Yeah. Because part of, part of what the show is about is to encourage and equip people to share their faith where they're mm -hmm. planted. And we've got people that have been on the show and they do share their faith. They're very, they look for the opportunities, yeah. but they're not boisterous and not calling attention to themselves right. in some environments that might not be totally welcoming yes. of that. And they're mm -hmm. very, very effective because they're listening to the Lord and they are responding to the opportunities that they're given. Most of the time, what I've seen is it's through living a life that compels questions from others. You're going through hard stuff, but you're smiling. What's up with that? Or The subtleties, you know? right? Yeah, and so I think the way you live your life uh, really does some pretty effective work. Mm -hmm. Now, when did you run into Jesus? When? I don't know your story. Oh, yeah, oh I, we, you and I go back a long way. We but do. I do not know when you gave your life to Jesus. Eight years old. I was basically, I was one of the runts on the neighborhood block, and I would run around with all the kids. I was raised in a church, but not necessarily evangelical or sharing the understanding of a relationship with Christ. And there was a family down the road. At eight years old, I would eyeball them, and I could see there was a difference, and they just exuded the Holy Spirit. And I thought, man, they are the coolest family. And eventually, it was during the Jesus movement. I already shared probably how old I am, but... I would tell the young boy that we used to play with, and I'm going to church. And he'd say, that's not church. This is church. And then he would just throw out all these <laughs> biblical concepts. And I would- How old was he? He was 10. Okay, so he was a theologian. I yeah, yeah, he still is. <laughs> and I would listen to what he would say. My own experience is all that I know, so I would challenge it a little bit. He said, you know what? I'm just going to take you to church with me one day. So he loaded up. He somehow organized the whole neighborhood. I remember I got into a yellow Datsun B210. <laughs> it was a great car. I think I had a green one. We had a yellow one. We all loaded up in a car, and my mom said, yeah, sure, I'm eight years old, nine years old. And we all get carted off to the El Cortez Hotel. Wow. Right? It's a night It's a night event, even. Okay. And we watched this movie called The Thief in the Night. Oh, I remember this one. Okay. It scared me to heaven, Good. right? Good, yeah, there so you go. So I was exactly. like, I'm praying this prayer, and I prayed, and I really didn't have an outlet to grow that faith. So I stayed within the confines of my church to really seek it out as best I could. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came to the Lord. Uh, my story unfolds even more magnificently from that, just to give you a little context. So the mother of that family, dear friend, she just passed away this year, she had walked me through the Bible three times in, in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> 
and it, it, the, the coincidences are are wonderful. And so he ended up going to Christian. So this is over by the stadium, Sarah May says, where this neighborhood was. Okay. He is carted off to Christian every day. Wow. We moved to El Cajon, 1977. And during that time when he is in high school and just in his education, my brother-in-law ends up getting thrown into Christian because he's living the worldly life. This is not a Christian family, but they thought, just let's just send him to Christian. So he ends up to going to Christian. That same child who took me to that movie led my brother-in-law to the Lord. Oh. Then my brother-in-law leads my husband to the Lord, mm. and then we met. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and one of the things when I hear stories like that or some of the other stories that I hear, I really want the people who are listening to this it, to see themselves in that story. You can be the cool Christian family on the block. That's a ministry that's touching lives. Yeah. You can be the one that says, hey, come to church. Yeah. And look at all of that woven fabric uh, that you know Jesus just puts all together. It's amazing. Let me ask this. So then everything was just absolutely perfect, smooth sailing for the rest of your life? No challenges, <laughs> no bumps in the road? Of course, anything? of course. Was it really? Is you that know, what you look like when you're lying? When you say, of course. Of course it is. <laughs> the cool thing about it, I was just talking to you before the show started, was where my downfall began, you and I were sitting across the table like yeah. this. And I'm just going to be frank and honest, because the way I came into more of the mature parts of my faith was, how are you going to show that the Lord is the Lord of your life without showing how you've overcome Mm, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So there's no fear anymore. Right. There's no fear. The transparency piece has to be incorporated in the fact that the Lord has changed you. The Lord has done his work in you. And that's how you carry on. And that's how people are inspired to do the same, because that's what Christians are supposed to do, inspire others to to get out of their mire. So <clears throat> when I first met you, Kevin, was about 2001. I joined Pure Fitness and Back I met a handsome guy at the gym. <laughs> do you know there's a reason why this isn't on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately at that time my husband and i were we had a rocky marriage and i cheated on him i was unfaithful mm. even though i had come into my faith at that time i think a lot of what i learned about my faith was still obligations and jumping through hoops and doing the right thing but not really putting it to heart and then when i hurt my husband i was justified mm. I, I thought you know what it's because you're this way and that way and I do everything right, and you do everything wrong. So I was really playing this role of being a martyr. Nevertheless, this is where the Lord began to bring me to my knees. Hmm. This is why I'm in the field that I'm in today. So in that whole time, we separated. I think you were gone by this time. But it was a three years of the making where we separated. He was living somewhere else, and we were playing the whole separation game of carting the kids back and forth to each other's homes on the weekends and it wasn't necessarily legitimized through the courts but this was just something we were moving towards divorce and i'm in i'm steeped in my stupidity having an affair but i'm righteous in this because i'm also going to church and i'm raising my kids right and just a whole mire of muck wrong thinking and i get into a car accident with a co-worker the the engine lands in my lap and I'm a, I'm a wreck, I'm a mess. And this is just in the midst of someone from my church. She sees me coming down, casted to church every day, and she says, why don't you go see a marriage counselor? So just before 
I went to go see the marriage, had the appointment made. This accident happens. The only way I could care for my family is for my husband to come back into the home. I was down for the count for probably about a month. When I went to the marriage counselor, I told her all my woes about what a perfect wife I've been. I want a crummy husband, my husband's been, that I've done everything right and he's done everything wrong. And she said, here's what I want you to do. Make an appointment with the marriage counselor. My husband wasn't going to church. My husband was doing his own thing. He had no faith in anything that was happening in his life. So she said, just make the appointment with the marriage counselor. Tell him you're making the appointment. And ask him if he'd like to go with you. If he says yes, then you know where you stand with him. If he says no, then you know where you stand with him. So I said, fine. I made the appointment, Marcial Falon. I called him. Will you come to the appointment? Sure, I'll come, okay? I'm sitting there in my indignance because I know I'm right. And um, I'm filling out my paperwork. And Marcel comes out. My husband just walked in. He goes and greets my husband with a hug. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Comes over to me and shakes my hand. I've never met the man before. Come to find out that my husband was already in counseling with Marcel. <laughs> Wow, that's great. Yeah. So we were able to resolve our differences and understand that we both have things that we need to work out. Not just how we've sinned against one another, but our forgiveness towards one yeah. another. Now, I had that affair. I got pregnant, Kevin. Right? This is how I got to the pregnancy care clinic. Yeah. So when I, and you've probably heard that part of my story before. I want the listeners to hear it. Oh, okay. I was reeling. My knee-jerk reaction was to have an abortion one more time because I've done it. I don't want to have to disgrace my children with an illegitimate brother or sister. That would be terrible for them, right? So my sister drives me to the clinic. She kicks me out of the door, and she says, you go figure it out. Go figure this out here. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have an abortion. I know that's what this is going to turn into, right? I go in. I see the wonderful receptionist. She carts me into a room where there's an advocate. And the advocate lays out all of my options, parenting, placing the child for adoption, or an abortion. And I understand you've already had an abortion. Yes, I have. I'm going to have another one because I know God forgives us. The thing that turned me around right there, Kevin, was when she said, how do you, as a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, how do you justify allowing an innocent child to pay the consequences of your poor choices, knowing that being unfaithful in your marriage is wrong. My husband had every reason to divorce me, right? Yeah. And when she said that, how would I, how does that sit well with me to allow an innocent child to pay the consequences for my poor choices? The only thing I could see was Jesus on that cross. And if I claimed to be the person who I said I was, then I would take that into serious consideration, which I had to at that very moment, because this was the turning point of my faith because yes i had faith but at that point i realized what i was doing was exactly what we do to jesus on the cross so i dialed it back and listened to my conviction and and made the decision to carry that child to term no matter what it took no matter what the enemy's voice was going to say to me and i didn't know i had no idea i i was just this floundering carnal christian who thought whatever the world had to offer was good and yeah biblical stuff was good too so 
I made the con- I took I went towards my conviction and said no. If I claim to be the Christian that I am, I wouldn't do this abortion again. So I carried that ter- that child to eight weeks, and the Lord took that child. I had a miscarriage. Wow. So I was able to go back to the clinic, get ministry for my heart in the area of my abortion, and also mend my heart from a miscarriage. And now that we were in counseling, <clears throat> our relationship began to flourish. Mm-hmm. And I began to understand, it was almost as if my heart, spirit, and my mind began to align. And I yeah. could really begin to operate in what God had for me. I think I had all the components of what God wanted for me, but I just didn't know how to bring it all together. How to apply the truth of who I truly was is sinner. But now my sin story touches other lives to help them to understand that this is a doable thing. Not only can God turn our lives around, but God uses our lives. That's right. To bring others to Him, no matter how it looks. And it's one of the things that I really respect and appreciate about you is your just flat out transparency. We were talking that before you came on the show. Transparency in a lot of different areas. It's really important. And I know that there are people who are listening to this Mm -hmm. who have gone through this, whether they aborted a child or not, they're dealing with the wounds of that choice, and the grace of God is real, and the forgiveness of God is real. But what you said is, if I am who I say I am, would I do this mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. And and the fact that the Lord was so gracious with you. So you did you start working for Pregnancy Care Center way back then? So that was about 2006, 2007, so you can put your context of where you were about that time. And I went through post-abortion healing in, I believe, 2006. And then our new director came on board, so I've actually been there longer than him. Wow. And then I have a tendency to open my mouth a little too much. And Really? Yeah. And so when he came in, I was telling him, oh, I just went through the post-abortion healing. If I led this ministry, this is what I would do. <laughs> Right? I love it. And he goes, okay, that sounds great. I think I'm going to redirect you from advocacy. I'm going to, why don't you work on post-abortion healing? I thought, wait, what? No, that's what, not what, what I What did I just do? I go, no, no. I was just saying what someone else should do, not me. And he goes, no, I think that's a great plan. I'm going to switch you up. You're going to, so I, I, I began volunteering about 2006. Yeah. By 2007, I wasn't in the clinic on a weekly basis, but <clears throat> he really was encouraging me to stick with it and build this post-abortion healing, now we call it after-abortion healing care, ministry. And I, by the model that I was gone, w- that I walked through, uh, I was trying to incorporate it, further that, and I failed hard, forever. I would, they showed me, here's a list of women who've had abortions, call them, invite them back to the clinic, and walk through the material that you just walk through. Oh, okay, I can do that. So I would do that, and I'd call all these women that they would give me lists. I would say, okay, meet me at the clinic on a Friday night. We're going to walk through this just like I walked through it one weekend. Goose egg. Nobody showed up. Nobody. Forever. And I would try year after year. 2011, Josh calls me. I was at work. He said, hey, are you ready to do this ministry again? Step out and call these women? I go, no. I'm not going to do it. And he said, why? And I go, because I'm a failure. I don't want to do it. You've got the wrong person. I am not the person to do this ministry. And he goes, what if I told you I have a new curriculum and another leader 
that will work with you. I've gone through three leaders by this time, okay? <laughs> I go, I was so discouraged because I, I, I was so ineffective. And he said, why don't you work with this new leader? And I thought, okay, I'll try it one more time. Josh doesn't remember this part of the story, but I said, but if I fail again, you can never call me ever again. And he goes, hmm, okay, what if you succeed? I go, okay, if I succeed, I'll give you one year. And he said, what is that? What year? is success? What is that? Yeah, and I, I said, okay, if I actually go through this curriculum, this new curriculum with anybody, you know, anybody, <laughs> right? And he goes, okay, deal. So I did it again, right? I went to the clinic. I got the names. I met the new leader. We called all these people. We went to my house. I set the, now we're at my house, before we're at the clinic, because this is a eight-week Bible study. I set the chairs up in a circle. I had a whole table with snacks ready, just like I, just like church's model for me. Anyways, out there, and nobody showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this stinks, right? And this is what dawns on me. We hadn't even gone through the curriculum ourselves. Okay. So I said, all right, we've already carved this time out for women to come, and we didn't do it, so why don't we just go through this curriculum for eight weeks ourselves? And so for the next eight weeks, we went through the curriculum. I call Josh back eight weeks later, and I tell him, we're done. Well, what do you mean? I go, nobody showed up, so you have to find someone new. And he said, what have you been doing for the last eight weeks? And I go, Jeannie and I have been going through the curriculum. He goes, there you go. Congratulations, you went through your first <laughs> you, successful. You got one. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, keep going. Oh, wow. The next time through, I go, okay, I'm just going to do this again, right? I, my church says, we'll pick you up as a ministry for small groups. We'll promote you in church, Okay. Like also, they took pictures of me. I was excited that I was going to be on the big screen. I'd been praying for my parents for 37 years to come to church with me, to somehow move towards the Lord. The first day, Kevin, that they put my pictures up on those big screens, my dad calls me the week before, hey, I've been thinking, I want to go to church with you guys. Like, what? Are you kidding me? He's like, no, I, I think I'm, I want to go see what your church is like. Yeah. My dad comes and sits in our pews. The first thing he sees are my big pictures up on the screen, post-abortion healing and these big, huge captions. And he's, oh, look, there you are. I'm like, please don't read it. Please don't read it. <laughs> but eventually, I had the courage to talk to my parents about why. So it's been good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. And my, I had to fess up to my kids about my life and my shortcomings and my sinful nature. And my son came in when his wife was pregnant with their second a child, a daughter, and he says to me, Mom, why do you have all this abortion stuff all over the house all the time? Don't you think you should have had gone through an abortion in order for you to impart this ministry to others? Whoa. And I said, yes, son. He turned around and walked out the door, and I thought, I've heard him. This is hard. His wife is pregnant. He comes back in 20 minutes later and says, hey, let's go get lunch. So he loved on me. And I could sense there was something okay with us in that interaction. Mm -hmm. And sure. then I told him, I said, look, I consider that you would have had a sister, an older sister. I had to go back and legitimize her. And that's part of the things we do in our ministry is these children that we once threw away, we bring them again back before the Lord. We pray for a name. We pray for a gender. And whether we're right or wrong, we name those children 
to legitimize, to give them the dignity back that they once lost because we threw them away. And I said, if you would have had a sister, her name is Julianne Marie. When that child was born, he named his daughter Juliet (laughs) by namesake of a sister that he never had. This is a redemption. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's It's redemption. Healing, it's hope. And, and by just being honest and vulnerable, you're able to do that for others. Yeah. What would you say, so Pregnancy Care Center, can you describe that ministry? I know that mm. we've got a couple that we support, the one that's, it's in Santino, right? Mm-hmm. And then one is down in Southeast. Mm-hmm. And so what's the whole setup? So if somebody needs a resource like that, right. what do you do? They come in just like I was a client. I came in with an unintended pregnancy. I had no direction. I've got family. I've got questions. No direction of what I'm going to do. Scared, which are a lot of the situations similar to those clients who come into our doors. So we start there with these girls and women who come in not knowing what to do. Some women just want to come in and get a pregnancy test. So that's what we offer is a pregnancy verification so that they know that they're pregnant and they can go and get their health care for their pregnancy with an OBGYN. So we begin with a pregnancy verification if they're pregnant. If they're not pregnant, we might have a little conversation about promiscuity with them. Yeah. Right. So these are what the advocates, nurse staff do, much of my experience as a client. So basically when they come in, they come in for a pregnancy test. We sit down with them and we talk with them about their options. We talk about parenting your child. So we offer parenting classes in order to support that direction. Moms helping moms, support groups, birthing classes. So we support a woman in choosing that direction. We tell the woman that if she wants to place the child for adoption, which is a very good option, that we have agencies that we work with who will direct a woman as a mother to either have an open adoption or a closed adoption. She gets to choose the parents. She goes through a book of profiles. She can choose the parents. They can decide how they want to work out their relationships for the sake of the mother and the child and the adoptive parents. That process is so beautiful. Sylvia has been involved in that, Mm -hmm. working at a large church and knowing Mm -hmm. people that cannot have children Mm -hmm. and somebody who's in a situation where they're unable to support a child whatever those reasons are Mm -hmm. but they're committed to bringing it to birth and they've put those people together and it's been extraordinary it's life-changing it's extraordinary and the fact that they have all of those options available Mm -hmm. to them it can be such a beautiful thing it is indeed to give a gift of a child to a parent to a childless couple It's amazing. (laughs) It sure is. Uh, And then finally, we talk about abortion. But we don't provide abortions. We don't refer out to abortions. But we frame abortions as it is here, basically in the state of California, that it's 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 an option you have. And the way we circle around that topic is, look, we get it. If you unfortunately walk through the circumstance of abortion, we have people here who can help in... Just the unpacking of that, right? Because there's so much to unpack. And I think part of the stereotype around abortion is that it's a woman's issue. And we look at the woman and we think, oh, she's gone through an abortion and now she's hurting. But there's another side of that coin. There's a man. Yep. A father. We always forget the father. And I've gone through, the first time I went through a retreat and men were present, freaked me out a little bit. I thought, why are they here? 
I didn't know that men hurt through abortions. And they go through it a little differently than women. Women sometimes are faced with an abortion because they want it, it's their choice, it's their body, or it's someone else who is imposing an abortion on them, whether they want to or not. But a man goes through that, despite whether they want to parent that child or not. Yeah. So their fatherhood gets ripped from them from t- at times, no matter if they wanted to father that child and be that parent a lot of times that opportunity is just stolen from them and they grieve. One of the elements that I really appreciate is because people see Christians as haters and judging and all of that. The fact that you are ministering to people who make that decision and loving them the same, loving them through so much hurt and so much just tearing, that, that's doing what Jesus would have you do. For sure. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I'm going, hey, we try to keep the show to about 30 minutes because that's how long people stay on the treadmill or whatever, <laughs> or they drive to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's another element of what you do, another mm-hmm. element of service that you give to our community. Yeah. What's it like being a school board member of a public school, a large public school? In the beginning, I think serving others was a little easier than it is now. We had a three to two, three conservative board to two non-conservatives. And I didn't really like anybody on the board because I didn't know who to trust. I I didn't feel like I had, maybe I thought I had one friend, but I just had to keep everybody at arm's distance because I didn't know. I had to really figure it out with the nuts and bolts of what everybody was saying, how they were throwing each other under the bus. There was no trust really Mm -hmm. with this board. And I just had to think, what kind of messy stuff is this? And I just had to sit back and wait on the Lord and ask Him, help me to navigate through all this. Yeah, I want to be effective, but I don't know what to do. It, it took about a year for me to figure it out. David Mishir was not someone I could entirely trust at that time. And I told him, we're not friends. You're over there, okay? That's funny because David Mishir is my friend. Yeah, he has. Apparently, he has a lot of friends. So, what ended up starting to change? He wasn't my friend on Facebook. I don't want anything. Just everybody, stay away from me. Okay, I didn't trust anyone at that point. But I was still living my life, and my husband and I like to goof around. He's he's an actor type, and we worship. We're worship leaders, and we do all these silly things online. And we just did a silly song online. It was "Love Is an Open Door." Right when Frozen came out, and we did this silly song, and me and Cheryl caught wind of it. And he played it during a board meeting. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want my Facebook post. <laughs> I have a board meeting tonight. I don't think I would like that to happen. He thought that was the coolest thing, that I was doing something that was relatable to children, having fun on Facebook, yeah. and he played it in the boardroom. And I thought, why? Okay, this guy. And he really started to warm up to me a lot sooner than I started to warm up to him. Yeah. And he was just trying to break the barrier with me yeah right and i still wasn't sure about the board members so i still no arm's distance i don't know then i began to watch his relationships of who he was building relationship with roland slade meridian baptist maribel wells city council chief of police other people around the community that were even had greater influence in our communities and I thought, why is he, how is he able to make connection with all these people? 
people that I respect. He yeah. would introduce me to people that had mutual respect to, with him. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'm going to just open up a little bit based on the relationships I see him having. Right. He would take these relationships and he would open up avenues in the city so that we could have conversations with city council members, business owners. This is in the development of the world of work time, right? He brought on, eventually he brought on Ryan Love. Ryan Love is a phenomenal individual who I know he started out on law enforcement in San Diego. I th- I don't know if it was San Diego PD or if it was Sheriff's Department. He ended up being Secret Service for Bonnie Dean Manis. He retired from both of those organizations. And then David snatched him up for Cajon Valley. Man of God, right there, right? Yeah. Ed Hidalgo, man of God. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? Am I missing something? So at that time, when I started to see the relationships that he had and was building, I thought to myself, okay, I'm ready. So I began to open up with him. And I think that's when I started to see that he was willing to have good deep relationships that would direct our community, our district into a way, innovation in a way that we've never seen before. Yeah, now he's amazing that way. Another thing that he's amazing in is he's an example. I remember I came to a board meeting once because it looked like there was some contention. People weren't working together. There was everybody, it just it didn't seem to be fun. No, and <laughs> And so the thing the thing that I remember saying at that board is number one, we've got a we've got a bigger mission, and mm-hmm. even if we be- think differently about some things, we're trying to make our community better, and we're serving these children, and it's critical. So we can't let that infighting thing happen. And David is an example of that. I'm sure that he and I don't agree on everything, mm-hmm. but boy, we are like minded when it is. Let's go do stuff. Let's go, yeah, let's go play. Let's go get stuff done. And that's what resonates with me and I think with other people as well. And for you as well, because you're just ex- you're describing a journey of that starting to trust and seeing if you could. What would you say to somebody? We've got the whole thing that I, I really, we're going to put in the show notes how yep. to reach out to the pregnancy care clinic. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, what would your encouragement be to people who are in sometimes contentious jobs or i don't see you as a politician i see you as a public servant no i really do in the purest essence of it i really do and the other people that serve with you because a couple of my other friends are on that same board and on other boards Mm -hmm. what could you in closing encourage people who need to open up and trust even with people who think very differently than them Mm -hmm. what would you encourage how would you encourage them um not to hate first and foremost because once you put up this direction of we're going to fight back, fighting back, and we have to hate the enemy or hate whatever direction we're going in, it really doesn't allow for dialogue to happen, being open-minded, understanding the other person and their point of view of where they're coming from. And in Cajon Valley, we have uh, mission value promise. Number three is to build relationship. Go there for and make disciples of others. Or there's another verse where the Lord says, love one another. And then they'll know you're my disciples because you yeah. love one another. Yeah. So we lo- So I want to start there. Yep. 
build the relationship. So after COVID, what happened was a lot of people started to see the decline of society and so much happened, so much damage happened, right? And there was a surge of a lot of people who decided we're going to move with the conservatives now. And I'm grateful for them, but a lot of them don't have this sense of biblical value. Right. And so that doesn't mean we ostracize them. It means we, okay, come on, we're going to love on you too. So we live on these people who are testing the waters with us. Yeah, and finding out who you really are and that you're not a hater, that you and you can do good work. You know, yeah. and then get, get a respect and a relationship and a trust. Isn't that an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ? It's insane opportunity. I serve on a lot of boards and I served in Chamber of Commerce and things like that. And some of my closest relationships with people that are far from God are because I didn't whack them over the head with the Bible, and, but I've had opportunities to speak into their lives because they see my heart right. that I'm not hating them for sure. Yeah. In fact, I'm loving them. We got to check our egos at the door. That's the truth. We have to make maintain our humility under what Christ is calling us to do. We have to listen and be obedient and then allow God to work in the, leave the details to Him. Yeah. I get so frustrated. I'm telling you, when I was back in that, establishing that ministry at the clinic, I would go to these ministry fairs and talk to hundreds of people about this ministry that everyone who's had an abortion has to go through. And, oh yeah, I'm interested. And then crickets. No one would call me. And I would be shaking my fists at the Lord going, you call me to do this, and yet I don't see any fruit from this. Why? Because you just be obedient, and you leave yeah. the results up to me. Yeah. And so I want to see this community come together to focus in and realize that as Christians, we have an opportunity. All these people are looking at us now for the answer. I don't think we're ever going to go back to the pre-COVID world that we were in. But... We have to look towards the future with these new people who are coming in and go, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I don't go to your church. I don't. Okay, fine. But here, as Christians in our community, we have a biblical platform first that we stand on that allows us to maneuver through all the planks of a, a party platform that we want to work in to make society better or move it forward. That's what we do. We apply our biblical pr principles to the to a platform of where we can work with. Yep. We have to help these people understand how to move. We have to mentor. We have to love. And not put them in a box saying, okay, you guys are a little too radical for us, and we don't do things that way. You either come along with us and do it our way or forget you. Yeah, that does not work. <laughs> Joe, I just want to thank you for being transparent with us today and loving and serving and leading. Thank you. Can I pray for you right now? Yes. Father, I just thank you for my friend. And I thank you for the other people that are in those positions that to me appear very hard. But I just ask that there would be fruit and the fruit of your spirit would characterize their everyday attitude and actions, that people would see your love through them. Thank you, Father, for the service that Joe gives and for what you've called her to and her obedience. We just bless her and bless those ministries in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I do a couple plugs? Mm -hmm, sure. Okay, so our Pregnancy Care Clinic Banquet is on October 19th at Sunrise Church, 630. Okay. And if you want to 
come and be a part of the banquet. It's our 30th anniversary, so we have a lot to celebrate, a lot of things that we want to just share of what the clinics have been able to do and accomplish over the last 30 years. We have some really cool stories. It's going to be Lieutenant General William Boykin. Yeah, I've heard so, him. He's come to our church. Yeah, he's coming. He's going to be our keynote speaker. Wow, he so, is powerful. Now, I'm going to say this too. In the many years that I've been involved with the clinic, I don't think we've ever had a full banquet. Our banquet seats 550 people. And at my last, the last banquet that I organized, we had 481. Wow. Can I pack that house? Can yeah. we get it done? Let's fill it up, you guys. Okay, well, let's pack it. And then on uh, September 23rd, which is right around the corner, I'll be the keynote speaker at the Legacy Center and yeah. Hotel Circle. I'm going to speak on behalf of some of my testimony, which I've shared here today, and all the benefits for that event that conference will go to the pregnancy care clinic okay, proceeds of that we will absolutely put those in the show notes and let's just fill those events up please right on okay thank you kevin thanks for being here it was great